0: We're going to recite together the first two verses, if you'd pop that slide up, or maybe it's on me. Pop the slide up of the first two verses. We're going to recite this together as we begin this new year together. So standing, would you recite this with me? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays wake in vain. It is vain that we rise up and go to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives sleep to the Beloved. Go ahead, you guys can head down. I thought I'd start that semester. Go ahead and sit down. I thought I'd start the semester. Welcome back. But a reminder to make sure that you get your sleep. Um, Do not anxious toil too much. A number of things happened over the break that got me thinking, and I wanted to share a few thoughts with you um, this morning. One of those is a tweet from one of our recent graduates, Caleb Cruz. It'll be on the screen in just a moment. There it is. It never fails to delight me when things I design on a computer screen show up in a parts cart as a physical object. I talked to Caleb maybe some of you will remember him a couple years ago he graduated works as an engineer in a manufacturing company in Brainerd Minnesota and I asked him about that word delight and he said yeah I'll probably have to attribute that to Dr. Brew but that notion of technology that delights is got me thinking and again you probably saw um, over the break some other stories but I grew up watching the Jetsons is this even I mean, I know I'm 54 years old. Okay, at least the professors are with me. We grew up watching cartoons in which there was a robot who vacuumed your floors. Yeah, right. Today we have Roombas that you can buy on Black Friday for $27. The future is here. The things that we thought just a generation ago were crazy are here. And we need to wrestle with that as Christians. not We don't have to wrestle with a Roomba, maybe you do. I've seen cats wrestling with Roombas on Twitter. Do um, you know who this guy is? His name is David Bennett. From the time at which you left here after exams until today, they put a pig's heart inside him. It's kind of a mind blower. We've had pig valves going in people's hearts and theologically, I'm not here to either wrestle with nor condemn. I actually think theologically this fits in a very, very good category. And interestingly, Dort University and a company here in Sioux Center called Exemplar Genetics that maybe some of you interned for, we have some graduates working there, had a small part to play in this. They raise pigs for medical research just on actually Dort's old farm. And again, theologically, I don't think I have a problem with it. But to think through that, we're now at the stage in which we can turn jeans on and turn jeans off inside of a pig to prepare it to be a place to not only harvest the pork tenderloin for dinner but the heart to keep David Bennett alive for who knows how long these are great things but I think they need to be wrestled with again this happened last summer right tourism for you and your generation the option of space tourism is going to be one that is there and you can say, that's nuts. Well, you know, the first robotic vacuum cleaners were not $27. So in your lifetime, I can imagine that instead of thinking about skydiving indoors for $89, you might think about going to space for maybe two or 3000 Again, we have to wrestle with these things. These are awesome outcomes. We need to wrestle with them. So it brought me back to this passage from Genesis 11. This painter, Dutchman Bruegel, was kind of fascinated with the Tower of Babel. Actually, um, you could spend a semester just in this painting in, in terms of all the little things that he put in the painting along the way. He actually painted it twice. One's called the larger, one's called the smaller. But it brought me to that passage this morning. And so let's just look at that together. So this is Genesis 11. Again, let's put it in context. Genesis 9, end of Genesis 9, Noah and God, God enters with Noah into a covenant. God sort of in Genesis like four through nine, kind of watched how the people were working out the world and said this isn't working out so well, pulled Noah apart, makes a covenant with him to say if it ever gets that bad again, we're not going to settle it that way. We're going to settle it who knows how, but hopefully it never gets bad that way. Well, just a few chapters later, we're already in a mess again and people had begun to, I think, do the same kinds of sins that Adam and Eve and the precursors to Noah had done. Genesis 12, we're gonna get to in just a minute. Abraham shows up on the scene and God again covenants with Abraham differently. So let's just read this. Now the whole world had one language and common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come let us make bricks. That was actually an innovation instead of stone. Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And as I studied this passage, the writer's pretty ironic here. He says, but the Lord came down to see the city as if God couldn't see the entirety of his creation. But again, the writer plays along with humans and says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that people were building and the Lord said, if, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Pigs' hearts. Flying machines. Roombas. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand one another. So the Lord scattered them from there over the whole earth, which actually he had told them several chapters before. I want you to spread out over the whole earth. But okay, they weren't doing it, so he did it this way. And they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because there, the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the whole face of the whole earth. Let us, did you notice that in that passage? I highlighted it in a couple places. Let us, let us, let us. I think, again, you could go with this passage in so many different directions about the languages of the world and diversity. That's not where we're gonna go here this morning. This morning, we're simply gonna just look at that let us piece. And why was that possible? And then that little weird thing that God says, nothing will be impossible for them. It's really interesting, was God trying to hold us back? I don't think so at all. If we go to Psalm 8, and I'm not gonna read the whole thing, I've just highlighted this small piece of Psalm 8. You, God, have made them a little lower than the angels. And actually, in the original language, the angels is probably better translated God than angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. So when I go back to Genesis 11 and the the passage there, I don't think God is saying, I don't want you to accomplish it. In other words, he created it to say, please go and accomplish it. I think God is excited when things like Roombas happen and pig hearts. But we've got to think through them. But today I just want to go pivot off of the let us, and then look back into Genesis 11 at the end of it where God says, and then into Genesis 12 where God says to Abram, I will, I will. But C.S. Lewis has some thoughts on this. From The Weight of Glory, one of my favorite essays of Lewis. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may someday be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. There are no ordinary people. I think Lewis is getting at that core thing that that tells us in the story of Babel that God wasn't trying to hold us back. God has created us. The Imago Dei, in the image of God, made us a little lower than Himself. And we can do these amazing things. And as Dort graduates, students, alumni, it's my deepest prayer that you go out and do amazing things. Push the envelope. Develop the creation. That's what God gave you to do. But we need to look at the story in the the city and the Tower of Babel and ask ourselves, what's going on there? So let's look at it a little bit. If we're a little lower than the angels, Why are things like palm reading and tarot cards, and why do we say good luck? Why do you think that is? I go back to James here, and in James 4, I'm not going to read this whole section. I'm going to get to the the second section starting in verse uh, 13 in a minute. But I just want you to see where James is talking about worldliness. He's saying, Why do you quarrel? Why do you fight? Why do you feel frustrated? What are you you spending your time on? Is it your passions? You see it underlined there in the text. Jealousy, pride. And then James stops and says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then there's this great little passage, and this is actually a passage that has gotten me through COVID quite a bit. This little passage where God says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Wait a second, I just read Psalm 8. You created me a little lower than the angels or yourself. You've given me dominion over the whole earth. Wait a second, now I'm just a mist? What are you trying to pull, God? I think we have to live in the middle of those two things and I think he gives us the key to how to do that in this next verse. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. And I think if we go back into the story in Genesis 11 of the Tower of Babel, I think that's what was happening is that it was about us. Let us bake bricks. Let us build a city with a tower. And we will make a name for ourselves. It's not, in fact, it's clearly not the problem that the people were making a city. Because if we understand Scripture fully, Genesis starts in a garden and ends in a city. It's what God intended. So they got started on a city, but their hearts were in the wrong place. And I guess one of the, the motivating things for me in being president here at Dort University is I want to see our graduates go out there and not play it small for God. I want you to do things like go to space. And like Caleb did, draw something on your computer and see it come to life hours later in a part that goes into a machine. And I want you to delight in that. No playing it small for God. because He has created you a little lower than the angels. He has given you rule and dominion, but then how do we carry that out? And I think this piece, and it's an old, old way of saying it. When I grew up in the church, you'd see a, a in the bulletin, you'd see an announcement It said such and such a couple will baptize their children D.V. next Sunday. It was an announcement D.V. Deo Valente, if the Lord wills it. It was a way of ever the whole congregation saying. Living into James 4 of saying, this is our plans. But we should say, if the Lord wills, we will do such and such. And for you graduating seniors that will be leaving us in May, try to live this semester into that. If the Lord wills, I'll get that job. If the Lord wills, I'll go to that city. If the Lord wills, I'll have that friend. And then be peaceful about it. I mentioned that this Genesis 11 story sits between Noah and Abram, a very interesting place for it to stand. Because in Genesis 11, where we hear, let us, let us, let us, in Genesis 12, you flip it over, and then it says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Remember what people at Babel were wanting to do? make a name for themselves. God says, Abram, just go. Pack up and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And from you, all the families of the earth will grow. It's a wonderful little piece of scripture for us to understand as people truly who are being trained in the technologies and sitting at the place in the world where you're going to do amazing things. And by the time you're 54, you're going to say, wait a second, that happened during my lifetime? But then I have to ask you the question. When God says, I will do it, He means through you. That passage did not decrease the agency of Abram or Sarah a lick. Because God will do things doesn't mean you sit on your hands. It means you go to class, and you dig in, and it means you go to that new city, and you network, and you make a Name for God, not a name for yourself, and let God take care of it. But I just wanna encourage you from that. Anybody recognize this? This is probably similar to the Jetsons. Most of our professors and very few of our students. Just like when you used to see the initials DV behind something that said, right, we were gonna go to baptize somebody next week Sunday at church DV, Your ancestors would have all known this picture. It's called Grace. Actually, it's a picture that was taken in Minnesota. The gentleman pictured here was actually a traveling salesman. He sold foot scrapers, of all things, and he called on a photography studio one day. This photographer was gonna enter a contest, and he needed a picture, and he needed a person to model it. So he asked the foot scraper salesman to sit and to pray. It's called grace. Again, give us today our daily bread is the context of it. I just want to encourage you to say, on the one hand, you can't imagine this guy developing the technology to do the pig heart. And that's fine. He was who God created him to be. He was following his calling. But even as you're going to do things that are just amazing, or some people might say it's magic, do it in such a way in which it's give us today our daily bread or in that context of Abram's call. And from a Reformed tradition, there, there's some wonderful words around that in the Heidelberg Catechism. It's called the, the providence of God. right? To pull out what does it mean to live both in terms of your life is a mist as well as you're a little lower than the angels. What does that mean? How do we get to understand that? And the Reformers talked about this concept of the providence of God. Instead of saying, again, I don't want us to start saying, you know, as the basketball team leaves for Mount Marty this afternoon, good providence to you. I mean, I understand when we say good luck. I'm not gonna become that guy around here, but nor am I gonna think that God God can be glorified whether you win or lose tonight, ladies, but you might as well put a W in the column. (laughs) What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, COVID and health, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us by his fatherly hand. And I hope that, as you plan for this semester and as you plan for the summer and will it be an internship here or will it be a job there that this concept of as if by his fatherly hand and I can tell you it's as frustrating as it can be to sit in that period of waiting that you know you've sent out the resumes you've done this you've done that you've and then you have to wait Abram and Sarah had a lot of that but I just want to encourage you this morning that that if you are living into that God will. He will. And don't push him too far. Because what does it benefit us to know this about God, that he loves us this much, that he continues as if by his fatherly hand? The benefit to us is we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future we can have confidence, a firm confidence that a faithful God and Father, that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot such even as move. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. I don't know if you recognize what's on the top of the screen there. It's perhaps not simple If it's easy to hit the lights off and on, I wouldn't mind that. It's maybe not easy to see. I'll take my pointer and point it out. Those pieces of paper are in the Library of Congress. There's a -A W-H-A-T, what H-A-T-H hath God wrought. Those words were printed in about 1836 by Samuel Morse. Morse didn't invent the telegraph. But he perfected the one-wire telegraph system and got the U.S. patent for it. And this was the first message that was ever sent in the United States from the one-wire telegraph system. might not sound like a lot to you, but it's kind of the equivalent of the iPhone 11 in terms of it coming out. And what was Morse's first inclination? What message do I want the world to know? What hath God wrought? From my vantage point, it's a little different than when we see jobs or gates rolling out. Again, you don't even know what Windows 95 is. And yeah, those Dockers that he has on, I get it. I've still got some in my closet. But as we think about technology and where we're taking things and the advances that are gonna happen, are we people that when we, we have a breakthrough on our team or in our company or in our university, our first inclination is, what hath God wrought? Or is it cheer for us and make a name for ourselves? I just want to juxtapose that a little bit this morning. What hath God wrought is a, it has an echo around here, I'll say it that way. Reverend Hahn was our first president at Dort. This facility is is named to recognize his leadership and his role in, in founding the university. Reverend Hahn became president in the 50s, 1957 officially, although he was here from 1955. He didn't become president until 57. He retired in 1982. Somewhere out on the green there, which then was a parking lot, he was walking around with a reporter. I don't know if it was a Dort reporter that was gonna write something for our alumni magazine or if it was the Sioux Center News. They walked through campus. And Reverend Hahn told a story about this tree or that building or this how that came together. And they walked through. And in 1982, we were already at 1,000 students, not fundamentally different than we are today. And the reporter said, Reverend Hahn, it's amazing what you've done. Reverend Hahn stopped the reporter and said, no, look what God hath wrought. just want us to think through that in light of us. To not play it small. To be the kinds of people that when you move somewhere and there's not a Christian school or a strong church, to say, we could start a church here. And if that church takes off during your time of leadership there and becomes the equivalent of a, a megachurch, awesome. Look what God hath wrought needs to be our response. I think it's why soli deo gloria in the middle of our motto has become this university's motto. And athletes, I commented to you a moment ago, I'm so glad about the Defender Way, and I'm so glad about the way you carry yourselves on our courts and our fields. I've Never really seen chest thumping at Dort, and I'm so glad about that. And music, and theater, and Kuiper Honors programs, and graduates in all fields. I don't hear that, let's make a name for ourselves. But I also want to challenge you not to play it small because God has gifted and talented and created and given you a little lower than the angels or actually a little lower than him. He expects great things from us. He's awaiting that city and we need to be busy building it. But as we do, be much more like Samuel Morse or Reverend Hahn in terms of remembering that piece from numbers. Look what God hath wrought. I hope you take that well away with you this semester. Would you stand again? We're going to recite the two verses from Psalm 127, and then they're going to end us with a short song. Jeremy, would you take it? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that we rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives sleep to His Beloved.